Hey friend, welcome back to Red Hot Mindset. I am glad that you're tuning in with me today. Today we're talking about parenting. Parenting is one of the hardest things in the world, isn't it? Man, you think you are doing great and then bam, something happens. One of your kids does something naughty. You slip up and say something you didn't mean. You don't know if you're doing it right. Questions they ask get harder to answer. I'm hoping that just isn't me. I struggle because all I want is to raise these boys to be men of character, men of God. I want them to have a strong faith. I want them to love learning. I want them to be respectable adults who take responsibility for their actions. Don't you? You know, as they grow, our kids change. It's normal, but it's hard. I struggle watching my oldest change and figure out who he is. The struggles in the teenage years are real. And we just have to pray we've done our part and affected them in a positive way. But how do we help our children in the process of change? That's what Aaron and I are discussing today. Aaron Brewster is the president of Truth Love Parent and host of its acclaimed parenting podcast. Aaron is a husband, father, biblical counselor, pastor, and a speaker. He's created hundreds of hours of free parenting resources, including the celebration of God. Just a couple of months back, I had Aaron on the podcast talking about how to help our children learn. And it was such a great discussion that I knew I wanted to bring him back. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that one, make sure to go back and do so. You will not be disappointed. I'll link it in the show notes for you as well. But today is such a great conversation. We got to get going. So let's dive in. Welcome to Red Hot Mindset. I'm your host, Gabe Cox, and through this podcast, I'm on a mission to help you step into the fire of refinement so God can mold and transform you into a woman ready to step into your calling and crush your goals his way. I do this by helping you overcome your mental barriers through a faith-based approach of building inner strength and resilience. Each episode, I will bring you thought process, productivity tips, and inspirational stories from everyday people, all so you can live intentionally and move forward confidently with the gifts God has given you. As a running enthusiast, I believe that life is one massive marathon and it's up to you to run your own race and to finish it well. Step into the fire with me because I know you will come out stronger. Hey, Aaron, thanks so much for joining me again on Red Hat Mindset. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we had such a great conversation last time as we were talking about um, how to help our kids learn. And today I'm excited to talk a little bit more about a parenting topic uh, about helping our kids to change and, and really understanding why do they do what they do. And you are the perfect person to bring back on to talk about this. So I really appreciate you coming to share. Um, I think that this is a really big topic. And, and just so you know, if you're listening, if you didn't hear the um, conversation from before with Aaron, it was just a few episodes ago. Go back and check it out. It's called, um, why it's not called, I don't remember what it's called. It's called Teaching Our Kids. Teach Your Children. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, That's it. There it's easy. Um, how, and talking about how the circle of learning incorporates knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. So good. We talk about the biblical concept of learning and why God commands us to learn and the tools he's given us to equip us to learn. So go back and check it out. But today we're talking about um, why our kids do what they do. And um, I think it's a big topic because for adults, change is hard. Like changing is hard. It is. Um, and so as parents, why does this matter for us um, to understand how to do this and how to equip our kids in their, in their changing? I think for me, uh, one of the things that's important to recognize is that um, 
I'm a biblical counselor. So, and, 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 you know, I'm a parent, I'm a biblical counselor. I've, uh, I, I do a lot of preaching and teaching. And one of the things that we have to recognize is that all of these processes, parenting, counseling, discipling within the church, teaching, all have one goal in mind. And that goal is to help people change. It would change in the amount of information they have, change in how they use that information. Uh, I also um, am a, an actor. My wife and I met on stage uh, back in college. And since then, we've done a lot of stage work. We've done uh, video work and things like that. My wife actually has a company where uh, she, uh, she creates storybook characters and superheroes and princesses and mermaids. And she goes out and she goes to birthday parties and events and she, she's, she creates these characters. So we love acting. But from an acting perspective, one of the things that an actor has to ask is, how do I change myself from who I am into... Batman or into, you know, whoever, how do I change? So I'm not Aaron Brewster on stage. I'm somebody else. And uh, so this this idea of change is is a huge idea. It's also all throughout the scripture. And I think it's absolutely seminal that we as guys that God created us to change in the same way he created us to learn because creating us to learn is creating us to change. Mm -hmm. And when we understand the nature of of change, uh, we understand the nature of why we do what we do, I should say, then understanding how to change it becomes a lot easier. You know, if I look at my phone, I, I know nothing about that. I mean, I know the basic, you know, push buttons and things like that, but I don't know how to fix my phone if something happens to it. So if I, if I study the phone, if I study how it works, then fixing it is a lot easier. So for me, um, this has been a, a multiple decade long study for me. The Lord started teaching me these truths back in the early 2000s. And I've been growing in it and studying it and sharing it with other people since because I found that this question is so desperately important. If we don't understand why we do what we do, we don't understand the nature of change, it it really ends up becoming very difficult to change in any worthwhile way at all. Yeah, yeah, very true. And that does go back into instead of just getting the knowledge, it's finding an understanding of that knowledge. Um, Mm -hmm. So I know in order to help our kids change, we do need to understand kind of why is it that they're doing what they do? And and I know we were kids once, so we probably knew that back then, then why we did it. But it's harder now looking back going, not like that, never do that. And then I go, oh, I did. <laughs> I was exactly <laughs> like that. You know, it's hard to remember though. And so can you kind of go a little bit deeper on this and like, what is kind of the first step in understanding that? Yeah. Well, I think I think we always want to rush to the answer. You know, why did you do that? I think the first thing we need to do is we need to recognize that it was done. That's a really important thing. So when I when I talk about this particular subject, uh, we talk about what is what does it mean to do? What are our kids actually doing? And there are three main categories um, that are, are everything our children do fall into one of these three categories. And one of them is simply do. Like there's the actual physical actions that can be eating a broccoli or not eating the broccoli, slapping their sibling, doing their homework. That's all the, the physical doing stuff. But then there's the verbal side and that's the talking. Talking is part of what I do, okay? Uh, why did you say what you said in that particular situation? So those are all part in the same category. There's a third one though, and this one's actually kind of hard. Um, we could take an entire episode talking about a biblical doctrine of emotions because man, oh man, uh, the world right now does not understand what emotions are, let alone how they're to be used. And I mean, if you ever watched Pixar's uh, Inside Out, then 
then we're led to believe that emotions are like the reason we do everything we do. They're at the controls of our life. I said that I did that because my emotions were in charge, but biblically speaking, that's not true. And I'm not going to be able to really like support that right now. And prove. if you're sitting there going, Oh, I don't know what this guy is saying. That doesn't sound right at all. I'm not really gonna be able to prove this to you because we have a lot of content to cover today. But I will say this, uh, I, I mentioned this on the last show, if you go to truthloveparent.com forward slash red hot, all one word, uh, then I have some additional resources there that uh, that expand on our discussion today, our discussion from our last episode, but also our for today. I really encourage you to check that out because I'm going to make some claims here about emotions um, that I want you to be able to see uh, from the scriptures. But here's, here's my claim about emotions, just so that we can kind of be on the same page and we can recognize that it really is nearly identical to what we do and what we say uh, is what we feel. Emotions are a gift from God, okay? They, they, they make life more enjoyable. They're, they're really fantastic. And in, in that way, they're also a tool. God has given us emotions to, to accomplish certain tasks. And one of the biggest things that emotions do for us, we see it in the scriptures, is that emotions function as a spiritual alarm system. Some people have equated it to the gaslight on the car. Uh, if I'm driving on the road and the gaslight comes on, right, I don't fix the problem by reaching over, grabbing a screwdriver and breaking up the gaslight. We're going we're gonna to fix the way I feel, right, by, by, by just changing how I feel. Now, there's th that feeling, that emotion is there because of something else, deeper, Emotions aren't the deepest thing. They're not the most motivational thing in my life. They actually have things that motivate it. And if I can fix the actual problem in lieu of my car, if I fill it up the gas tank, that light's going to turn off. Uh, if I deal with the deeper issue, that emotion is going to change. And yeah, emotions are unique in that they uh, they sometimes are a product of and an encouragement. Like, you know, if I'm if I'm upset, so I'm 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 yelling and now it turned and now my emotions are all into it. And now I'm hitting. It kind of did motivate that, that step a little bit. But what we're going to see is that what we do, what we say, and what we feel are all on the same level. And so we have to recognize that as a stand at a starting place. I think for all of us parents recognizing that uh, those three things, if you look in the scriptures are called our fruit. Um, I, I love Psalm chapter one. It's a really uh, easy, short Psalm. It's the very first Psalm. I love Matthew seven too, because uh, these two passages give us a very simple picture of man. And it compares us to a tree, right? And it says that uh, if we do these things, we'll be a healthy tree and our healthy tree will bring forth fruit. Both of the passages have that type of wording. But the passages also talk about the fact that uh, if we don't do the right things, uh, then we're going to be an unhealthy tree and we're not going to bring forth fruit or we're going to bring forth bad fruit. So we see that God himself basically puts everyone into one of two categories. What you're doing, what you're saying, and what you're feeling is either good, Christ honoring, profitable, good fruit, or what you're doing and what you're saying and what you're feeling is bad. It's sinful. It's not Christ honoring fruit. So as we start from that perspective, we look at our kids and we think, why are they doing what they're doing? First, we have to recognize that they're doing, right? They're doing something, they're saying something, they're feeling something. And from God's perspective, what they're doing, saying, and feeling is either good or it's bad. It's that simple. There really is no gray area with God, right? There's gray area with humans because we don't know everything. But with God, there is no gray area. It falls into one of those two categories. And so if we recognize that from God's perspective, what my child is doing, saying, and feeling is either sinful or it's righteous, 
that's going to be really important for us moving forward, how we deal with it. Because to be honest, one of the things I deal with oftentimes in, in my biblical counseling ministry, the very first things we have to talk about is the fact that you can't change your children. You can't. There's nothing you can do to change your kids. The only thing over which you have any control in this crazy mixed up world, and even this is kind of limited, is yourself. By God's grace, you can change yourself. That's it. You can't change your kids. And so like, I've got this tree in my backyard. It's not producing the apples I want. I can go to Walmart. I can buy some apples. I can, I can tie them onto the branches and I can sit back and go, look at what I did. But to be honest, I can't change my tree. I can do some stuff, but the Bible says that you drop a seed into the ground and God gives the production of it, right? I can't really even change the tree, let alone my own child. So saying, starting from the standpoint of recognizing what they're doing is either righteous or it's sinful. If it's sinful, it needs to change into something righteous. That gives me a starting place. And that starting place is going to be how God views the situation. It's going to be what God has to say about it. Okay. Okay. So give me a, can you give me an example of that? Like, okay, so my child decided, I tell them 10 minutes till bed. And then all of a sudden a half hour later, they're still not even getting ready um so it's kind of the well why did you do that why are why are you not taking responsibility for this or whatnot um so the example of that that would essentially be non-righteous right so disobedient um so then from there the why did they do what they did i mean how can we process this like I don't know if that's yeah, and that's a very important question. Once we understand what they did from a biblical perspective, was that good? No, it wasn't. Okay, it needs to change then. So then the question is, well, how do we change it? How do you change your behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that so we asked the question, why did you do what you did? And I think uh, Genesis chapter three and many other places too, but Genesis chapter three helps us out with this really well. Um, so Eve is there and she's talking to the serpent, right? She's been told by God, don't eat the fruit, right? But the serpent's there and the serpent's like, ah, God doesn't know what he's talking about. This will be good for you. Trust me, okay? And if Genesis 3, 6 says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. So the question could be, why did she eat it? Why did she give it to her husband, right? Well, and we see a lot of people have preached on this passage. We see the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life in here, right? She saw that the tree was good for fruit. And it was the delight to the eyes. And there was a tree desired to be made one wise. And I think that's very true. I think um, Satan still tempts us all in that exact same way today. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But think about that word, lust. What's another word for lust, Gabe? Um, gosh, Maybe not, not so much of a, like a, a, not a bad synonym want yeah to want something yeah to desire something in fact the passage actually says that uh she saw that the tree was desired to make one wise it was desirable to her she Mm -hmm. wanted to take the fruit she wanted the benefits of the fruit so one of the things we have to recognize and again we can't really unpack everything here today so i hope your audience will check out some of this additional learning But one of the things that we have to recognize is the fact that we do what we do and say what we say and feel what we feel because we want to. I I wanted to do it. I wanted to say, now this is is so important. 
Um, a lot of times I've had people say this to me, you know, they've sent their son to Victory Academy for Boys, where I used to work at home for at-risk teens. These kids have done so many bad things. And the parents will say, you know, he really is a good boy. He's just done bad things. He has a good heart, things like that. I understand what they're trying to say. They don't want to throw their kid under the bus. They want to hope the best in their child. I get that. But biblically speaking, Jesus Christ said that there's bad fruit. Bad fruit comes from a bad tree. Good trees don't bear bad fruit. Jesus' words himself. And we have to recognize, I think it's, it's helpful for us to recognize if I'm sinning, it's because I'm a sinner. If I'm doing bad things, it's because I'm a bad person. Oh, but Aaron, that doesn't help their self-esteem. <laughs> My friends, we need to see ourselves the way God sees us. And, and when we do bad things, it's a sin against him. That's, that's actually the best thing because then we can change. If I view myself as a, as a wonderful person who doesn't need to change, I have no motivation to change. I'm never going to change. And so if I see myself, though, I wanted to lie. I didn't just lie. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an accident. Someone didn't make me do it. I wanted to deceive you. Hmm. It's really hard to sit back and go, I'm a good person who did a bad thing. I wanted to make you feel bad. That's why I said what I said. I wanted to hurt you. I wanted to disobey. I know what you told me to do. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something else. It's so eye-opening for us to recognize this because it, it, it disenfranchises us of the lie that we're sweet, beautiful little snowflakes, right? Perfect little entities in and of ourselves who just kind of from time to time do bad things. Yes, we are wonderfully and fearfully made. Uh, we are creations of God, but sin nature and the sinful flesh has perverted that. And it's that from which God wants to save us, right? He, that's why he came to save us from our sin. And so if you think, you know, James 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights around you? That's, that's what he says, okay? He says, your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And you do all this to spend it on your passions, right? It comes down to the fact that your child was running up and down the hall because they didn't want to do what you wanted them to do. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. Now, I'm going to turn this over to you in just a second, but I know that there's a question that normally comes up. People say, Aaron, okay, so everything I do, I do because I want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. I'm listening to this in the car right now on my way to work. I don't want to go to work. <laughs> there are a million other places I would rather be. I would. I desire to be at Universal Studios. I desire to be at home. I desire to be in a mountain cottage. I don't want to go to work. And our kids would say the same thing. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to be nice to my sister, you know, but I was nice to my sister. I do things all the time that I don't want to do. No, sorry, that's not actually true. And I use a pretty extreme example. I like to use hyperbole. Jesus used it, and I think it's helpful for us to understand hard concepts. I have a dog. She's an awesome dog. She's a therapy animal. She's a service animal. She's a great, beautiful seven-year-old Rottweiler, right? If someone comes up to me and puts a gun to my head and says, I am going to shoot you if you do not kill your dog. Whoa, Aaron, we just got hardcore. Yeah, we did hardcore, but let's think about it for a second. That person is going to take my life if I do not kill my dog, my dog that I love. Now I've got these, all these, these things going on in my head, which is worse, right? Killing my dog or depriving my family of a husband and a father. I think if all of you were put into that situation, you parents would do exactly the same thing that I would do. It would be sad and be terrible. I wouldn't quote unquote want to do it right, but I might be forced to take the life of my dog in that moment. Now, God forbid I ever be put into that situation, but this is why I said this. Listen very carefully. I didn't want to kill my dog, but I wanted to kill my dog 
more than I wanted to die. Hmm. See, if I don't go to school, I'm going to get kicked out of school. There'll be consequences. I want to go to school more than I want to experience the consequences of not going to school. If I don't go to my work and do my job, I'm going to get fired. I want to go to work today more than I want to get fired. So yeah, the reality does end up being, yeah, you did want to do it. Maybe there are other things that you, you, know, you want as well. But the reality is you did what you did. You said what you said. And you felt what you felt because you wanted to feel that way, say that thing, and do that thing. That's an interesting perspective to think of it that way, uh, because a lot of times we do say, oh, I don't want to do that. I really don't. I want to do this and I want that. And, and it's true. The reasons that we do certain things is because we want a certain outcome mm-hmm. or whatever yeah. it is. So I do, I go to work because we need to put food on the table or, you know, that kind of a thing. So uh, I do actually want to, even if I don't feel like I want to, maybe, Mm -hmm. Um, maybe that's where the feelings and the emotions come in because those can be different than, (laughs) I don't know. Sometimes I feel like those sway so much. Um, There's a reason for them, but they also, you can't really depend on them because they do sway. They're not the same. Um, So, okay. So now we have kind of established the want to, so whatever it is that we, we, we've wanted it for some reason or for some, there's some outcome that we wanted of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, Say we have a kid who did rebel and did um, decide to do something that was bad, innately bad or naughty or whatever you want to call it. Um, how can we help them? Is there a way that we help them to see that what it was that they did was not God pleasing or mm-hmm. what, what would we do to help them transition um, to want to do what's right? Yeah. And I think, so what we're seeing here is the various steps of parenting that people have tried. I'm just going to do this thing to manipulate and force, persuade my child to just change their actions. I don't go beyond what they're doing, saying, and feeling. I'm just telling them, stop it, change. You know, I don't give them any more. Well, now I, now I have another tool. I can help them to see, well, you did what you did because you wanted to. You wanted to disobey mommy. You didn't want to obey God, right? And that's helpful. So the question is, well, how do we help them change their desires? And some people, they don't, they don't actually ask that question. They just go, okay, well, I'm going to do this thing that's going to somehow change my kids' desires. And this is where pragmatic parenting comes in. See, we talked about this last time, right? Pragmatic yeah. parenting, they go, okay, I recognize that they did what they did because they wanted to. Like you were unkind to that child because you wanted to be. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to help to manipulate your desires. If you keep being unkind, people aren't going to want to play with you. They won't invite you to their birthday parties. Ooh, now the child wants to be kind, right? They want to be kind because they want the benefits of being kind. And so look at me, I was able to help my child change their desires. But unfortunately, that's not a good parenting tact. That's actually no more successful than it is using fear and manipulation to just get our kids to change you know, what they do. It, it, it's really all about, you know, it still ends up being about manipulation. And in the end, the child really isn't doing the right thing for the right reason. They're just... They're just being nice because they want to be nice, and which is no different than them wanting to be not nice. So it doesn't really answer the question. It doesn't really deal with the need of the moment about helping my children change their desires. And so we have to ask, you know, the question, well, okay, so in order to help my kids to stop doing what they're doing, I need to help them to understand that they want what they want. Now I need to help them change that. So what do we do here? So I have this illustration that I use. 
And I love it. It's so great. I've done it so many times. Uh, I'll try to sum it up here for you. And if you have a good imagination, um, then this will uh, this will be easy for you. So uh, I told you that I was I've been an actor. One of the things uh, that has been a part of that process was being a magician. I've been a stage magi- magician. I've been a uh, a uh, street magician, doing a lot of card tricks and things like that. So I was looking for a way to teach young people this concept, what we're discussing today. And I created something uh, that was kind of mix, a mix of danger and, oh man, this is so great. So basically the short of it is I have somebody come up on stage and there's a table and we cover that whole thing with the cloth. So no one can see it. I can't see it. No one else can see it. And the person takes a knife and they stick it in sticky, uh, in like sticky tack or, or silly putty. They stick it in that pointing up. And then they take three paper bags and they put them on the table and they tape them down to the table. And underneath one of the bags is the knife pointed up like this, right? I send uh, the person away. Uh, I always make sure that I have somebody there, uh, like a nurse, with an emergency uh, first aid kit there, whatever else. And we, we take down the cover and all that we can see are these three paper bags. I invite two uh, guests to come up and I always take a guy and a girl and I take the guy and I say, okay, you're going to represent God. And I take the girl and I say, you're going to represent mankind. Okay. I say, all right, everyone, what do we know about God? And they start shooting at things. God knows everything. He's all loving, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Very good. So those are the, so I say, you're representing God. Those things are true about you as of right now. And we go up and we're standing on the table and I say, okay, so um, you, you're representing God. You're going to tell us what to do. Okay. Um, so I want you to tell her that she needs to take her hand and as hard as possible, smash one of the brown paper bags. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, <laughs> and I tell you, hey, well, don't worry about it. He's God. He knows where the knife is. So I say, all right, buddy, which one of these three paper bags do not have a knife under it? And now the guy is like, uh because he has no idea he didn't place the knife he has no clue where the knife is and the guy's like uh the one on the left and i go your left or my left he's like uh you know so it's it's terrible right he's starting to sweat and so he finally says the 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 one on the left all right perfect all right so you young lady need to take your hand open it up like this and as hard as you can you need to smash the bag uh because God has said that there's it's there's no danger and you need to obey God. And what happens the first time is always the same thing. There's this super tentative placing the hand on the paper bag and slowly pushing it down, right? Slowly pushing yeah. it down to test that there's not, no knife in there. And of course, it's it smashes all the way down to the table. And there's this uh, sigh of relief from the audience. And of course, the guy over there is like, whoo, you know, I was like, okay, okay. And I said, you know, sometimes in our lives, God asks us to do things that are uncomfortable, all right? Um, And this is a good example of that. I said, but sometimes God asks us to do things that are really hard. And we give examples of that depending on the size of the audience. You know, this might be, you know, uh, being pure in a Christian, uh, sorry, in a a public school, you know, standing up for what's right, things like that. And we give, have them give us examples or whatever. And I say, okay, so now let's take it to the next level. Now, that, that wasn't just like uncomfortable. This is actually pretty hard. I say, okay, uh, God, which bag doesn't have the knife under it? And now the guy's a 50-50 chance and he, he's sweating and he says, you know, the one on the right. 
I'm like, okay, okay. So same thing. God says that you need to now take your hand and as hard as you can, you need to smash this bag. But can we acknowledge the fact that when God asked you to do the easier thing, you struggled, you didn't take your hand and smash it as hard as you could. You kind of were really tentative about it. So I'm going to be a good friend. I'm going to be, I'm going to help you do what is right. So I take her hand, I place my hand over hers and I say, Hey, listen, if this knife ends up going through your hand, it's going through mine too but I'm going to help you do this the right way. Cause God said that we need to do this as hard as we can. So we're going to smash this bag as hard as we can. I'm here to help you. So I've got her hand in mine, mine on top. And all of a sudden we come into the bag and there's room is completely silent. And then as hard as I can without hurting her, we smash our hand down on the bag and phew, there's nothing there. The bag crumples underneath everybody there's just this everyone's like, oh you know, you know. i go over i send i send both i said great job you guys were awesome i send the girl back to her seat i send the guy back to his seat i give the guy a high five my hands now covered in sweat that he's been like sweating this entire time you're like this girl's gonna get hurt it's gonna be my fault and then we talk about it a little bit and i said you know that god asks us to do things that are are hard i said but then sometimes god asks to do asks us to do things that are impossible. Abraham, sacrifice your son. Um, boy or girl, go through the rest of your life without a mom and dad who just died of cancer. Mother, go through life um, having had a miscarriage and have joy and contentment in that. And, we, and in the middle of those situations, maybe it's a child with an abusive parent or whatever else, in the middle of those situations, it seems so impossible. And so I call the girl back up and I look at her and I say in a quiet tone, I'm going to ask you to do something right now. It's not going to make sense. You're not going to want to do it. You're going to be scared, but you need to obey. I send her back up there all by herself. I'm nowhere near her. And I look at her in the eyes and I say, you need to take your hand and you need to smash the bag that has the knife under it. I've had, I've seen so many visceral responses. I've seen tears start to well up in eyes. I've seen girls take an uncontrolled step back away from the bag, but you know what's happened every single time I've done this. And I've done this so many times, this high school girl will step up to the bag and with a good amount of effort on her own part, she will smash her hand down on this paper bag that has the knife under it. Of course, as you probably figured out, there was no knife. There was never a knife under any of the bags. There was never any real danger. Now, when that happens and she smashes the bag and everyone reacts in, in, in just awe, I settle everyone down. I say, okay, listen carefully. She just smashed a bag believing there was a knife under it. She wanted to smash the bag more than she wanted to disobey. Tell me why. The first hand up, I always choose it. And the person has always been right. They raised their hand and said, yes, why did she want to do it? And the person said, because she trusted you. Hmm. Now, there have been times where I've had to say to a girl who has looked very hesitant, I had to say, listen, would I ask you to do anything that's going to hurt you? Am I some terrible person who wants to see you in pain? And they're 100% right. The girl ends up doing it in the end, not because she knows what's under the bag, not because she's certain that she's going to be safe. It's simply because I've built rapport with her. 
I helped her to smash that one bag, remember? And to a certain degree, she trusts me. That's the only reason she did it. Now, in the scriptures, we have three words that are all synonymous. Trust, faith, and belief. And the reality is, faith is, is believing something to be true, trusting something to be true without any, without being able to see it, without knowing for certain, without having the proof that something is true. So this, is, this is the root. If we picture it like a tree, right? And our fruit is what we do say and feel. And the trunk of the tree is our desires, what we want, what we think. Then the root of our tree is what we believe. I do what I do and I say what I say and I feel what I feel because I want what I want. And I want what I want because I believe what I believe. And this is the key. My child was told to go to bed. They don't want to go to bed. Why not? Because they don't believe they have to. They don't believe it's best. They don't believe it'll be the most satisfying. They don't believe it'll be fun. They Deep down inside, they don't believe truth about the situation. Hmm. Um, and then we could pick anything. Why did you wear the socks you wore today? I'm actually not wearing socks. I know it's a Zoom call. I don't have to be wearing socks. I'm standing on a grounding mat, so I can't ground with socks on. I'm not wearing socks, but you know, but why? So, so why am I not wearing socks? Good question. I didn't want to. Well, why didn't I want to? Well, because I believe that not wearing socks was better for me right now, so that the grounding mat I'm standing on would actually work. I also believe that no one would see it. And up until I was stupid enough to mention it, no one was going to know, right? <laughs> so everything that we do, everything that we feel, everything that we desire can be traced back to what we believe about life. And this, we learned this in James chapter two. This is where we come down to a, a discussion about um, faith and works. Works grow out of faith every single time. And faith that doesn't have works is a dead faith. It, 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 the belief isn't there. That's why the works aren't there. So again, this is a big concept, but we can go through all throughout scripture. We can see that the most seminal aspect of our entire lives, the thing that is at the very root of all change is this concept of what I believe to be true. Because what I believe is going to dictate everything else. So the question is, why is my children doing sinful things? Because they have a belief problem. Because they're not believing the right things slash they're believing the wrong things. Mm -hmm. To help our children change, what we need to do is not address, yes, there's the actions, and yes, there's the desires, okay? But most fundamentally, we need to talk about, we need to help them understand why they're doing what they're doing, that this is a belief problem. And then we have to help them with that most seminal concept. Okay. Yeah. And that makes sense because yeah, what we believe or what we trust is what we will ultimately do. Um, mm -hmm. So how do we practically do this with our kids? Is it um, in, how do we guide them to understand yeah. or to really figure out what it is that they believe? Are we, are we oh, guiding yeah. them to believe something specific or are we believe, are we guiding them to come up with their beliefs? And this is a, a massive, topic, uh, this, this idea of motivation, why we do what we do, um, because there are a lot of things that we do because it's a subconscious motivation. Like it, it exists. And if we ask the right questions, we can discover it, but sometimes we just do it without thinking about it. Um, I have another series called, um, teach your children to obey. And, uh, it, we, in that we recognize the fact that doing the right thing in the right way, isn't always obedience. Uh, we have to have the right motivation. 
if I'm doing it for a selfish motivation, it's not true obedience. That doesn't glorify God. I need to have the right motivation. So this idea of motivation is so important. It's massive in our parenting. Well, it's massive in our own lives. We have to recognize that everything I do drills down to what I believe, but it's massive in our parenting too. So this needs to be a conversation that we're having all of the time. I would say, regardless of the age of your children, this is one of those preemptive things that we do. We talk about, this is life. This is how God created us. This is why we do the things that we do. This is a conversation I'm having. I'm laying touchstones, laying foundations so that later on when we're having struggles, I can say, hey, listen, why'd you do what you did? Because I wanted to. Yeah. And why did you want to? Well, because I believed blank to be true because I believed fill in the blank. Um, to be able to get our children to the place where they can step through that process is incredibly huge. I use a, a tool in my biblical counseling called a think sheet, which helps them to walk, walk through that process. It asks questions and it provides information so that they can determine what did I believe in this situation? And like I've already alluded to, one of the best things we can do is to ask good questions. Um, sometimes, you know, we like to think that we know a person's motivation. You did this for this reason. And sometimes we can be true. I think we can be right in that. But oftentimes we don't really know exactly why they did it. And when we ask good questions, we start to discover, sometimes we're surprised. That's why you did what you did. You believed that that was interesting. <clears throat> sometimes we find that our kids actually thought that disobeying mom was the best thing. Why? Because baby sister was in the bathtub and she was coughing and she had fallen down in, you know, she had fallen down and she was coughing. And so, you know, disobeying mom, but being in bed was, was okay not to do that because I'm helping baby sister. Right. I believe that was better. Um, sometimes we discover stuff like that. Sometimes really what happens is that our children start to discover really important things about themselves that they don't actually believe in the moment what God has said. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Well, right now, God, I, I'm leaning on my own understanding. I don't believe you're right. I believe right now the best thing for me to do is to not obey my parents. And having these conversations helps this, this type of thinking to be a natural progression in their mind. They come, they start to see their motivations clearer and clearer as we help our kids work through this by asking important questions. Well, why did you want it? Ah, here we go. Mom's asking me the why question again. Why did I want it? Why did I want it? I wanted it because I don't know. You know, why did you take the cookie? Because I, it, it tasted good. Okay, so you thought that eating the cookie would 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 taste good, would feel good. You believed that it would feel good. Yeah, I believed it would feel good. Okay. What else did you believe about the situation? Did you believe you weren't going to get in trouble? Did you believe that we weren't going to find out? Did you believe there wouldn't be a consequence? Did you believe that it, that stealing, taking the cookie was actually a good thing? You know, asking these questions, helping them to unpack their own motivations for why that is so desperately important because we'll never achieve real change until we, we address that motivation level. Okay, yeah. The good questions. I think, and we talked about this a little bit even before we hit record was talking about Asking good questions and really mm -hmm. being a little bit deeper, finding that root and really what the root is, is what they, what they believe, what's the belief system behind the action that they took. Um, yeah. And I, I even equate this to when people, when I help people understand, okay, so what's your why behind your goal? And we, we exactly same thing, that, right? It's the why, why that, well, 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 why that, well, why mm -hmm. that? So um, I can see how that would work in how about, so um <laughs> I don't know if any of your kids are like this, but my kids, their favorite words, at least my older ones is, I don't care. And I don't know. So they don't like, <laughs> right. So it's like, how do you draw that out of them? Like, how do you start these conversations and start asking these questions and getting them to actually respond to yeah. you? 
I have a I have a whole episode called uh, something something to the effect of um, you know what to do with I don't know or how parenting kids or something like that. I don't even remember what it's called, but I'll, I'll link it on that truthloveparent.com forward slash red hot. I'll put that there for parents who are interested because there's lots of different reasons that people say I don't know. And generally speaking, it's not because they don't know. I mean, honestly, we as parents aren't asking questions that are so hard. Our kids don't have the answers. We're not jerk parents like that. Um, so there's a lot of reasons they say that. Um, the I don't care thing, I think is a little bit, actually a little bit easier. When someone says that, they sometimes mean, I don't know, but generally speaking, they're being really honest. I don't really care. And so that's actually easier to address. Should you care? Does God want you to care? Is it okay not to care? Um, and if the child, if, we, if we've done a good job as a preemptive parent, teaching them the truths of God's word, Deuteronomy 6, you know, when we're standing and lying and walking by the way, uh, then hopefully they're equipped to recognize that, no, it's not okay to not care. That's not fine. God's not pleased by that. He does want us to care. Um, but sometimes the I don't know is a little bit harder. This is what I, I encourage parents to do um, in situations like this where the child doesn't really, they, they, they haven't really considered their why. They don't know their motivation for what they did. Again, it's asking the questions. And I, and I kind of put it into agricultural terms, right? We want to pick the child's fruit. Okay, we're picking that fruit, we're looking at it, we're, we're like, is this good fruit, is this bad fruit, right? We need to understand that the fruit grows, it's a good tr a fruit comes from a good tree, bad fruit from a bad tree. So if there's something wrong with the fruit, there's something wrong with the tree, we got to take care of the tree. And I want to uncover my child's roots. Because the, the basic question we ask is, okay, well, how do I help my child believe something different? Well, sometimes the dirt surrounding the roots is garbage, right? It's been stripped of all its nutrients. One of the biggest issues I see is that um, you can't believe what you don't know. And so if like, you, you tear a tree up out of the ground with the roots barely hovering above the dirt, that tree is going to die. It needs to be in touch with that nutrient giving um, ground. And so um, oftentimes we look and we see that our children don't have access to the truth. We actually haven't done a very good job uh, as a preemptive parent, giving them God's truth, giving them the answers, helping them to see the motivations they're supposed to have. We've left them unto themselves to kind of make this up as they go. And so they end up doing what feels good. They end up following their heart because that's what they're told to do by the world. And so all of the dirt around their roots is if they, if they believe what they're what they're soaking up, it, of course it's going to produce bad fruit. So it starts again preemptively by helping to pour that in there. And if if we're parents and we're like, oh, you know, I haven't done a good job with that. Honestly, I spent more time telling them to eat their broccoli and how to tie their shoes. And when it's all said and done, the end of the day, and I'm tucking them in bed. Yeah, we pray, but I didn't really talk about God. I haven't really. I kind of left that to Sunday school. I left that to youth group. I left that to my church. I left that to the Christian school. I left that to their dad. I, Hmm. And they're seeing that, wow, I haven't really done that. Um, that's, I think, one of the one of the first preemptive steps to start wor working through to help our kids be able to discover their why is to see what God's what God has to say about our why, to say what God says about our motivation. Why do we do what we do? We, we do things for one of two reasons. We believe God and we submit to him or we believe ourselves and we submit to us. One's called true worship. The other one's called idolatry. I'm doing for God or I'm doing for self. Uh, a friend of mine, Ken Collier, said, just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. That's it. So that ends up being the, the root motivation that they start to see. And so we can say, okay, listen, if there are just two choices on the shelf, which one did you choose? Did you do that because you're trying to please God? Because you're trying to please self? And those start to be a little bit easier questions to answer. Uh, and then as the more scriptures that we're unpacking for them, 
the more scriptures that we're sharing with them, they have the vocabulary, they have God's viewpoint from the situation to be able to see it the way it really is, which is why I said earlier, a child who says, I don't care, is going to recognize if they've had the Bible taught to them, uh, that that's not really an appropriate response, um, for at least for a, a child who you know, professes to be a Christian. So what do we really mean by that? What are you, what are you truly, truly saying? What does God have to say about us not caring? Um, and those answers become a lot easier as we're equipped with more and more truth. And even little children can do this. I've done this. Uh, uh, I've had my own young children. I was also the director of a day camp program. We had all the way down to three-year-olds. And uh, little children come in. I didn't want to take a nap. They slapped. They said no to their, uh, their counselor. And I would ask why. And we would, we would slowly dig down and help them to see um, why they did what they did. And then, so the question is it being, well, how do I change, how my child change their beliefs? And again, I have to say, um, you can't do it for them. You can't just make them choose to believe something. The best thing that we can do for parents is to just cover their roots with God's truth. I mean, this is not, I'm not talking about sheltering them, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about them being so familiar with God's truth that they can uh, they, 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 they can find the answers. They, they know what God says because you can't believe what you don't know. And then we pray for them a ton. We keep speaking that truth to them in love. We keep praying for them. We keep modeling for them uh, what good fruit is in our own lives and how that good fruit came from our beliefs. We keep pointing them to the grandeur and the awesomeness of God. This is what Jesus said. If a brother sins against you, you go and you tell, you tell show him his sin, right? If he repents, you've gained your brother, right? So we're in, we're in that process of evangelism and discipleship with our kids. And then they're going to have to choose. Do I really believe this? Do I, am I really going to accept that God's way is best? Because if I am, I'm going to want to obey him. And by his power, I'm going to obey him. But if I think God is wrong, and I think I have a better way, I'm not going to want to do his thing. I'm going to want to do mine. And I'm going to do it. Hmm. Yeah, that, that brings a few thoughts to me. Um, one kind of in the fact that our children are really not ours, they're God's. So it's a matter of holding them loosely and being able to do that, knowing that God is in control, um, which I know is a hard thing for, especially as mamas to do. Uh, we just want to hold on tightly. We're like the helicopter moms, right? We just don't, don't go so close to the edge. Don't do this. Don't do that. Like just try to keep them alive really. But um, so there's that, like holding them loosely. So um, giving God the control. And also I think of Proverbs 22, six, when you were talking there uh, about training up a child in the way he yeah. should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. It doesn't mean that they won't rebel. Like it doesn't mean they won't turn away from the faith. Um, it is a promise that, and so as you were saying that, like if we keep talking about it and we keep, you know, giving them these truths and these truths, they're going to seep into them. So no matter where they go, um, no matter what they do, even if they choose the bad, those truths are still in them. And, and God's word doesn't return void. Yeah. 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 So I think that's, that's pretty neat to remember as a reminder, instead of thinking that we're just doing this out of like, it's not going to work. It's not working. It's not working. Don't stop. Keep mm -hmm. doing it because the truth um, will overpower at some point. And um, you know, they are ultimately gods and he doesn't want them to, 
he doesn't want to lose them either. He loves them. He loves them more than we love them. And I don't understand it. I still am trying to understand it because I don't know how you can love my, how he can love my kids more than I love them, you know, but I think about that and how much he loves us too in that, in that aspect. But yeah, God commands us to be a city set on a hill, a shining light, right? Not to hide our light under a bushel. Um, but the person who sees that city set on the hill needs to choose to go toward it, needs to choose to want the safety and the comfort of it. We, we can't force them, but we still need to be that shining light and that, that truth, um, drawing them in. And I think one of the things I talk about a lot with uh, the parents with whom I work is the idea of our parenting Bible. How big, how thick is your parenting Bible? How many verses and passages does your parenting Bible have, right? And oftentimes, Christian parents, we have certain ones we go to, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. You know, that's a really easy one off the tongue, right? We might have our favorites about not complaining and not lying because we have to deal with that a lot. But oftentimes, our parenting Bibles are very thin. We're not really equipping our kids with the depth and the richness of God's word so that they can they can have everything they need for life and godliness um, through the knowledge of, of him who saved us, or through the knowledge of Christ. So as we thicken our parenting Bibles, we're pouring more dirt over the roots of their lives. Now they're able to believe things that they previously weren't able to believe. They didn't know it. They couldn't believe it. Now they're being exposed to it and they're seeing, oh, wow, that's why I'm struggling with this. I didn't know that was the problem. Now I know. Now I can, I can choose one way or another. And, and that actually goes to the Proverbs 22 6, uh, passage about training up our children. The, the thing about that that I think oftentimes we miss is that training is not teaching. Okay, mm. training is not teaching. I can teach you and you can not learn it, but I can't train you and have you not participate. If I told you I were a classically trained violinist, you are going to expect that I can actually play the violin. If I told you that I, was, I were training for the Olympics, you're picturing in my mind me doing something. I'm not sitting there with my trainer showing me how to do everything and I'm eating donuts and popcorn. You'd be like, you're not training for the Olympics. Right. That guy is, is teaching you, but you're not training. See, training is a participation. It requires participation. So the idea is that that's the belief. I'm teaching my children. And when my children start to participate, they start to, to choose to believe and start to choose to do. Then what's happening is now they're involved in that training process. Uh, same thing that we learned in 2 Timothy 3.16. The Bible is given to us uh, for purposes, for teaching. For reproving, which is basically telling someone that they're wrong. Okay, this is what's right and wrong. You did wrong. For correction, this is how we're going to move from the wrong to the right. And for training, this is how we're going to stay doing right. Right? That training process involves them participating in it. A lot of for us parents, a lot of what we do is teaching and reproving. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. Stop it. You're doing wrong. Stop it. You're doing wrong. And we just cycle back and forth because I can teach and I can reprove without any interaction from my kids. Absolutely none. This is what's right and you're wrong, all right? But I can't move to that third level of parenting. I can't move to the correction stage unless the child is willing to accept and participate in the learning. Yes, you're right, mom. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I want to change. Okay, now we can move to the correction process, which is helping them to see what they need to do to stop doing the wrong and to change what we call repentance, move from the wrong to the right, the practical things that they need to do to start changing. And as they continue to participate, that's so we can move into the training stage. So trying to onboard our kids, helping them to get to the place where they're, where they're excited about, about engaging with this, changing their beliefs. I used to believe that what I did was right. Now I'm seeing that I was wrong. 
I misinterpreted that situation. I was living in a delusion and I recognized I really did wrong. That was a sin. It was a sin against my sibling. It was a sin against my parents. It was a sin against God. I need to change, mom. Please forgive me. Please help me do what's right. This is such a temptation for me. I've, I've hated science for so long. It's just a knee-jerk reaction for me. And I know, I know I shouldn't hate it. I know I need to be thankful for it. I know I need to do my best in it. So how can I do that, mom? How can I fight this temptation? That's the correction stage. That's the training stage. That's the most exciting part of being a parent. But too often we find ourselves just circling through the teaching and the reproving because our kids really aren't, they're, they're not buying into it. They're not participating in it. And we can't make them participate, but we can be that light. We can be that salt. We can continue pouring that truth and love, which Ephesians 4 tells us uh, when, it, when they participate is going to result in their maturity in Christ. Oh, yeah, that's so good. And it is so fun when they get to that training point, because I feel like the conversations get more rich. And mm. they, when they really want to, you know, <laughs> yes, they do. It's so fun and, and hard, fun and hard. Mm -hmm. um, I love this. This has been so good. I think just as we kind of wrap our minds around why they do what they do. And a lot of it comes down to what they do, what they say, what they feel and into really what they believe, what's the root yeah. of it and really being able to draw it out with some good questions and start having those conversations and give the biblical truths and really share and be open and do that, not, not leave it for Sunday school and do it at home and make it a part of our lives. Um, now, as we wrap up, I would love to hear if you have any, any final thoughts or encouragement for my listeners as we try and figure this out and help our kids grow and change. Yeah. Well, here's the thing that I taught to my kids and I, and I had them memorize early on in life. I do what I do say what I say and feel what I feel because I want what I want. And I want what I want because I believe what I believe about God, his word, and myself. That right there sums up everything that we do. And that right there is the pattern for change. It lays out for us in order to change what I'm doing and wanting, I need to change what I'm believing and specifically what I'm believing about God, what I'm believing about his word and what I'm believing about myself. So um, uh, again, I'll have uh, some extra resources at, uh, on that webpage for your listeners if they want to take this a little bit further. Um, I will say, though, that this really is, and I think we need to wrap our minds around this, this is probably is the most seminal part of what it is to be a human being, what we believe, what we, uh, what we trust, uh, so much so that um, when C.S. Lewis wrote Mere Christianity, faith was a chapter of that book. You know, Mere Christianity started as a radio talk, and he lists out a bunch of like the, the, the simplest elements of Christianity. Faith was one of them. Uh, when I originally put together this material, I called it the merest Christianity, the most mere element, the most seminal element of our walk with Christ is what we believe about God. So in order to encourage everyone, I would say the best thing that we can do if that really is true, whether what I believe about God, and if I understand that I can't believe what I don't know, that should give us um, the desire to engage in the circle of learning, right? If belief results in action, then belief, when it's when it falls in line with the fear of the Lord, is is wisdom. I'm believing God. I'm living, therefore living wisely. And as we learned last time, wisdom makes us want to learn more. So we should be going, wow. I cannot glorify God with my life if I'm not believing what is true 
And God has given me this book to tell me exactly what is true. I need to know it. I need to know it for myself and I need to believe it. And then I need to help other people in my life do the same. And that's why God leaves us on this earth. He leaves us here, doesn't just take us because he wants us to be that shining light. He wants us to be that evangelist and that disciple. And that starts first in the home with our kids. We need to be evangelism parents, evangelist parents. And then that needs to be discipling parents after our children have submitted to God. And it's always going to involve teaching them about who God is, teaching, helping them to understand it, helping them to love him and therefore submit to him, believe him and obey him. Mm, so, so good. I mean, I, I tell you, I just learned a lot more here, some practical steps and practical questions I can use as I'm helping my kids to understand what they believe and to fear God and just grow in their relationship with him. Cause that's ideally what my goal is with them is to, to want them. I, I want them to want to grow with them. Amen. And of course, it's like you said, it's their choice. They have to make that choice and make that commitment. But um, the little things that we can do as parents to help evolve that. And so mm-hmm. I just thank you so much for being here. Now, if if you want to connect with Aaron, make sure to go on to his website, truthloveparent.com. And the resources that he has for us, you can find at truthloveparent.com forward slash red hot, right? I got that right. Yep. Yep. All one word, red hot. Yes. And he has a wonderful podcast. If you are looking for a parenting podcast with biblical truths, really with a faith foundation, go check that out because um, what he shares is really, really, really good and impactful. So Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on Red Hot Mindset. I have loved our conversations and I appreciate you taking time out to, to share with us. Thank you, Gabe. I'm honored to be doing this. And, and I just praise God that we both have the opportunity to be given the gift of of telling other people about him. It's awesome. Yeah, it truly is. Thank you so much for joining me today. I had a great time and I hope you did too. Before we go though, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform if you haven't already. This will make sure you have access to all future episodes so you don't miss any of them. If you resonated with this episode, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or Spotify as reviews are an important part of growing this podcast. If you have any friends or family who you think would enjoy this podcast, be sure to take a screenshot and share it with them. And if you're not a part of the free Mindful Mamas online community, consider joining us. It's a community built to provide support, mindset, and encouragement as you develop your giftings, live intentionally, and go after your biggest goals, God's way. Head on over to www.redhotmindset.com to check out the show notes and find the link to join the community. I hope you step into the fire with me each and every episode because I know you will come out stronger. That's all for now. Talk with you real soon. Bye, winner.